Good morning, Harvest Church. We want to invite you to come and come on in and take your seat and stand and worship with us.
ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe And we live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. And we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
find chaos and trouble all around us, Lord, yet in you, Jesus, we find a peace that just passes all understanding. We thank you, Lord, we think that we, could, we can find a peace in you, Lord, that just does not comfort me anywhere else, Lord. So thank you for this morning to be able to gather with other believers, to, to lift up your name, to praise who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. We look to you this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, Harvest Church. Um, so today is Family Sunday. And for those of you who don't know, every fourth Sunday of the month, we have the first graders and up stay in service with us. And we have donuts, and they're out in, like, the side area along with tea and coffee. So please help yourselves to that. Yeah. And hey, my name's Jeremy. I'm the youth and family pastor. And this is Kylie, one of the high Hello. school students joining us, giving announcements today. That's what's fun about Family Sundays. Um, 
Um, we want to let you know that hey, we, we are devoted to prayer at Harvest Church. And one of the, the areas that we meet is uh, 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and we meet in the vault, the old bank vault right behind this wall. And we gather up for prayer at 8 a.m. to pray for the service, to pray for the day. So if you want to feel, if you want to join us in that, in that war room, to pray for the service, to pray over the message, to pray for hearts be touched by the Lord, uh, we would love to have you join us at 8 o'clock. And if it fills up that vault room and we need to move it to another place, praise the Lord. This week, we have a really exciting family movie night. And it's going to be on Friday the 29th from 6 to 9 p.m., and we're going to have two movies. One of them starts at 6, and for it's for, like, the younger kids. It's going to be a Paws and Tails, and those are super fun. I remember watching them when I was a kid. And then at 7, we have, like, a big family movie. What was it? The Blue Blue Miracle? Yes, that is what it is. And there's going to be snacks available. It's going to be in the worship center, which is here. And it's, we're going to have a big screen this time because we usually have it out in the patio. patio yeah. And that was really cold. But now <laughs> we have we have a big... Um, place for it to be. Yeah, sweet. Uh, so that's this Friday. And then um, coming up on August 7th, we're going to be having our annual beach uh, baptism bonfire. Wait, I've got those mixed up. Beach baptism barbecue and bonfire. <laughs> Not in particular in that order. It, it, we're going to be doing baptisms down at the beach. So uh, it's going to be from 5 to 7. It's a Sunday evening. Um, and so if you have not been baptized yet, that's one of the things that Jesus asked of his followers to be baptized. So that's a, a great place to do that. You can sign up online uh, or, you know, through a website to, hey, I want to be baptized. We have four people already signed up. So there's going to be people baptized. We're going to have some worship. And then one of my favorite things, too, is we have some bonfires on the beach, give you some sticks, some skewers, and you get to roast up your own hot dogs and s'mores. It's really fun. So uh, join us for that. That'll be uh, August 7th, 5 to 7 p.m. And, but lastly, before we have Steve come up, I want to bring up uh, Brager Wade, and Kylie's up here already. So as you know, as you guys know, uh, two weeks ago you prayed us out. We went to summer camp. Uh, first, the first week was high school week, and then the second was a junior high week. So we've had some students come back, and I just wanted to have them come up and share a little bit about what what the Lord did up there. So um, if you guys could tell me a little bit about your time at at Camp Challenge, it's you think about summer camps, you think about wild, crazy, running around. Uh, sometimes you think of Hume Lake and like 2,000 students going. Camp Challenge is a little bit more smaller of a camp. It's a sweet place. Uh, this, this is my second year taking students there, so it, it was a great time. But tell me a little bit about your time, Brager. So it was just a great time just to spend a week with a bunch of people I knew. So uh, I was in one of the guys' cabins in the high school week. Um, I was just friends I've known for years, I've gotten to know over the years. This has been my second year. They've made it an amazing, uh, just second and last year as I am graduating now. Um, it, I, you just feel welcome when you go. It's always just an amazing experience just to connect with God and just hang out in fellowship with other believers just like you and to learn and grow in him. Yeah, thanks. Kelly, tell me about your time. What I like about it is it's very tight-knit, super, like, you get to meet everyone, so you never you never feel like you come back and you wish you met someone and you wish you grew closer because like you don't really have a choice, and um, <laughs> it it feels a lot like youth group except for like an entire week, and I really like that. And we had two amazing speakers. We had Dean Dilliger and we had Mr. Lidbeck, and we had them last year, and so it was super great to hear them speak again. And they they're both very wise, not older than me. 
elderly <laughs> or old. <laughs> they are wise adults, and it's <laughs> it's good to hear it's good to hear people speak and yeah. like hear about their testimonies, and we got a lot of good stuff out of yeah. it. What was what was your favorite part? Oh, my favorite part. I feel like you have to say something Christian-y, but no, no that, that was one of them. That one, the one water, of them. The water balloon fight could have been one of them. My favorite part was definitely our night devotions because like we got to meet, um, um, we got to grow closer to a lot of our friends and like got to hear about everything we thought about, what we talked about that day. And it was, it was a lot more intimate and it was really, yeah, I felt like I got a lot closer to everyone. Sweet. Brave, you want to tell me about yours? I got to say it was cabin cleanup. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very Christianese. Uh, no, uh, that was a lot of fun. We had this whole story going along. But also, I really enjoyed the night hike on the last night that we stayed there. We would all go up to the top of this, the hill, and we would look out at the stars and... We would kind of just share our experience, and that was really great. And on the way back down, I got to have a real big heart-to-heart -heart, uh, conversation with Jeremy and the owner of the camp, uh, Mr. Stanley. So yeah, that, was, that was really amazing. Breger and I decided, he's going off to college. He's going to Cal Poly. So you're staying local, yes. but, we, but we decided we're not going to lose contact. You'll we're we're, we're going to stay friends, yeah. You'll see me for another yes. four years at least. Yes, okay, good. <laughs> All right, um, and then... Did God reveal anything to you? Did you what did what did you learn? What what was your kind of take home? He revealed to me that no matter how far I wander, he's always going to be this beacon of hope that I can always turn and look to. Because I was looking out at the stars on the night hike, and I saw the north star and it reminded me of like if you get lost, you can always look up into the night sky. You can find the star Polaris. It's always going to point north, and you can always find your direction from there. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me that if I ever wander, I'll always, especially with the groundwork that Jeremy has laid in my life and just the, this church here, I will always be able to look and find Jesus in everything. We watched at Camp Challenge, we watched this insane video about like this whole star thing and you have to watch it what is it it's uh louis gigolo how great there are I think. yes yeah. uh yeah how great is our god or something like that okay. anyway it was like it was so crazy and it kind of put into perspective how like how huge god is and how um powerful he is and that no matter what he can make um and what he can do he still cares for us and he still wants like a personal relationship with all of us yeah. so i feel like that was really meaningful that was, that was an awesome video. Um, I don't think it's easy to be a youth in this generation, this time. How can we as a church be praying for the youth group, for, for you all? Especially with this year, we've got a lot of new graduates that are going to be going off to college. And the college, I, I just came back from slow days a few get, days ago for Cal Poly. Um, and I was kind of like a few days just in the life of a Cal Poly student. And you just get bombarded with the world. It's like they're trying to shove stuff down your throat. And just pray for the strength of all of our students that are going to go off to college and have to endure this. Just pray that God stays strong in their lives. Um, yeah, I would agree with you about all the college students leaving because there's a lot of 
close friends of ours that are leaving for college. And my brother, he's going across the country to go to college. Don't know why he did that, but um, <laughs> I think I think we just need prayer that because it's literally youth group is just a bunch of kids, and so I feel like we need to pray about being welcoming to people and just um, very open to new people coming in because kids, especially high schoolers, can like form little groups and it can make people feel like unwelcome and that's not what we, um, what we want in our youth group. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's pray real fast for the youth group, for, for our youth. Heavenly Father, we lift up the youth uh, in this generation, this world that's just, just forcing, pressing their own uh, worldview on them, Lord. Uh, keep our students strong in, in in all that you're doing in their lives, Lord. Keep them strong in, in, in your word and in, in, a, in a close abiding relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Um, thank you for the, the summer camp experience this this a couple weeks ago, and, and just pray that that would remain and they would go out and they would be lights and witnesses and missionaries to their fellow students, Lord. And we just thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good job. Love you guys. Well, I was just going to say uh, meet and greet time. So get up and say hi to someone around you.
you got to say hello to a neighbor um it's kind of a testimony weekend you know uh, yesterday we had an amazing men's breakfast and joe de leon gave his testimony and uh man I, i've heard joe's story before but when he spoke yesterday man it was um it was powerful he held us all kind of captive for about 30 minutes as he shared his story in just the best possible way we were all just so blessed and encouraged to hear his story. I think, I think it's important for us to know each other's story. And so um, I love hearing the young people up here uh, sharing what God is doing in their lives. And it reminds us to be praying for them. I mean, can we remember back when we were in high school? It was, uh, it was a little bit different than it is now. <laughs> and I uh, just saw my brother back here, Larry Kabong. We were in uh, uh, Campus for Christ ministry. Larry was the leader when we were in high school. And we've known each other for all of these years. And uh, so it's just um, those formative years where God is doing good stuff, wonderful stuff, eternal stuff, and, um, and where the enemy's working overtime to try to get us distracted and hindered and all that kind of stuff. So we just need to be remembered to praying for those guys. If you missed the breakfast, man, catch it next time. We're going to do another one in the fall. Um, and everybody, we had just a great team. Um, Rick, our coffee guy, Rick was there at 5.30 this morning. Uh, on Saturday morning brewing coffee. I got there at 6, thinking I'd be the first guy there. And Rick always beats everybody there so he can get the coffee brewing. And my brother was there early, and Ron D was there early, and Brian Healy was there early, and people were setting up and, you know, cooking and all kinds of stuff. And some people got there at, you know, 5.30 or 6 and stayed till about 11 o'clock until we were all wrapped up. It was just a glorious, glorious day. Had a really good time. And so um, if you missed it yesterday, we'll do another one in the fall. It's really, really worthwhile to come out for that. It was really well attended and just really, really fun. So it was good. Hey, real quick announcement. Ron D, Pastor Ron D, where's Ron D? Is he in the house? There he is. Pastor Ron D is retiring. Can you believe that? Right? Right? <laughs> He's been threatening to retire for years. So when he came to my office, I don't know, a few months ago or six months ago or whatever it was, I don't know, he's like, hey, I think I'm finally going to retire. I'm like, well, duh, you've been talking about it for years. <laughs> so um, he, Ron is go going to be, and DJ, they'll still be here at the church. DJ was up here helping to lead worship this morning. In fact, um, Ron will still be an elder. He'll still be preaching from time to time. In fact, he preaches in August. He's going to retire at the end of this month, but I've already got him scheduled to preach in August. And uh, just trying to make sure the hook is still in him, you know, and uh, so he can't get away. And then, uh, so he'll be uh, just still be an elder, still be serving, uh, just won't be, have office hours and that sort of thing, but he'll still be available for stuff. And uh, so we'll get a chance to bless him on August 7th. So a couple weeks from now, we'll... We'll bring him up front and pray over him and bless him as he uh, transitions. And also, Christy Suizo is transitioning. Uh, so Ron's been with us for 14 years on staff. And Christy's been on staff probably about the same amount of time. I mean, just a, a good long stretch. And uh, so Christy Suizo's done everything from children's ministry to small group stuff to you name it. And uh, so she's actually started her, started her own company. And so she's been slowly trying to kind of transition as well, just feeling like, man, I, I 
want to stay connected to Harvest, but I feel like this other stuff is kind of drawing me as well. So um, I wouldn't let her quit for months, for years. I think it's been a couple years. I just said, no, you cannot leave. <laughs> you cannot leave. And so she's been super gracious and patient with me as I've just said no. And then finally she's like, no, I really need to now. So I'm like, whatever. Okay. So she's wrapping up at the end of this month as well. And so we're going to honor both of them on August 7th. So if you'd like to write letters or send them a note, um, we'd like to, you know, give them a little love on their way out. And again, the Suizos are staying, the D's are staying, no one's leaving. They're just not going to be like on staff anymore. So we'll be blessing them as they head out and, and uh, it'll be really, really good. Hey, just as a, a note, uh, some people have asked, hey, how do we pay for all this? Because we initially said it was going to be, you know, a couple hundred thousand and it swelled. When I say this, this worship center, um, we took over a year renovating this space and um, we went into it kind of ignorantly about what it was going to take. And if we do it again, and we will do it again, we'll do another project down the road because I think we'll always be about projects. But we'll actually get some better information before we actually jump into it. And um, so you kind of learn things along the way. We've always been renovating buildings, you know, from the beginning. And so you kind of think you know what to expect. But then you get into a, you know, a project like this that's, and we were just, we had no idea what to expect, and and so the the price went from like a couple two or three hundred thousand up to seven hundred. We've got seven hundred fifty thousand dollars into this place, and uh, so a boatload of money. So along the way, uh, we raised like I don't know a few hundred thousand, and so we got an SBA loan to fi to pay for the rest of it. So it's a two and three quarter percent SBA loan that's paid back over twenty years and uh, thirty years, something like that, and we get you know, two years before we even start paying for it. So people have been asking, that's how we paid, made up the like $450,000 uh, lack that was there. So, um, you know, we just, we did what uh, we felt like we needed to do by God's grace. And we, uh, um, we calculated the risk as elders. I got to get rid of this mint. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like making my throat grab. I'll put that in the back pocket. I'll save that. <laughs> For second service, if you need a mint, I got, <laughs> I got, <laughs> and my throat's like grabbing. All right, get a comic relief there. Here we go. All right. Anyway, <clears throat> so as elders, you know, we don't make any decisions unless there's like agreement, unanimous agreement with our elder team. And so if anybody on the team says, hey, I just don't feel like that's a good decision, we just shelve it or table it or never come back to it or come back to it later. <coughs> and so um, just so you know, that's kind of, that's how decisions are made, whether it's, you know, staff decisions or building decisions, any kind of financial decisions like that, as well as spiritual decisions. Um, so that's kind of what's been going on behind the scenes to get this project done. And uh, so um, anyway, people have been wondering, and um, I just like to be completely candid about everything that's going on. So if you've got any questions about anything, um, you know, don't all come to me because I can't answer everybody's questions. But it's a, we really have an open-door policy. Like, if you have questions, ask an elder. Um, ask a staff member. Ask somebody to get your questions answered. I, some people have been kind of frustrated that uh, we haven't come forward with that information, but nobody's been asking, and so maybe we should have just Pro proactively just done that, but uh, um, anyway, so yeah, now we're being, you know, if you've been here at any, for any length of time, you know that 
um, we'll tell you whatever you want to know. Uh, and we try to be proactive about information. Um, everything's you know available to everybody. So um, anyway, so that's just kind of the deal. And so don't don't if you got any questions, just pull us aside and ask. And I've heard some people say, I'm not gonna tithe until I get those answers. And somebody says, Well, have you asked the question? They say, Nope. I'm just not gonna, you know, that's just silly. Let's just, you know, so first of all, tithing is a or giving is an act of worship to the Lord. <laughs> so if you're saying I'm not gonna give because I don't have the answers, well then you're just saying I'm not gonna honor the Lord with my resources. I'm choosing not to do that. Some people say, I'm not gonna serve. Until I get answers. Well, then, you know, service is just an act of worship to the Lord, you know. So God has given us gifts and talents. And so use your gifts and talents. And if you get the answers that you're seeking and you don't like the answers, you know, you can do two of, one of two things. You can, you know, have conversation with us and we can agree to, to disagree. Or you can just extend grace to us because, boy, we, we need... We need grace. Or you can go to another imperfect church because there's imperfect churches everywhere. And uh, we're at the front of that line of imperfect, imperfect churches. And so, but don't do that. Just, you know, just extend grace where we need a grace. And that's just the kingdom thing that God's called us to do. And uh, love us and we'll love you. We just, you know, just that kind of thing. Don't, don't withhold your giving. Not be, I mean, honestly, <laughs> If you don't want to give, don't get don't give, because God wants a joyful, cheerful giver. And um, so, as the song we were singing says, you know, our hope is in Jesus. Our we we never planted a church or anything based on you know how many dollars we can get in the offering box or anything like that. We just say, hey, we feel like the Lord's leading us, and so we're going to do this by faith. And everything we do is, is by faith. And so, um, if you want to give. Great. If you don't want to give, don't, because God wants a cheerful giver. So don't give under compulsion. Just give because you feel like your heart's full and you want to honor the Lord with your resources. And then if you don't want to do that, hold on to it. Please just hold on to it. And because um, God's, God's in charge of this whole deal. You can't go 19 years and with all the stuff that we've gone through without God being at the helm, you know. So, so uh, we love you no matter what you do. Because that's just what we do. By God's grace, we try to love people and serve people. And so do whatever you want to do as long as the Lord is leading you. And, and um, you know, that's kind of my little soapbox there. And uh, we'll get into James chapter 4. And uh, we'll just see what the Lord does as we get into James chapter 4. Happy Family Sunday. So because it's Family Sunday... Um, as you know, we typically do a joke or something, but I've got some statements. So when asked, um, some kids, when asked, you know, about stories in the Old and the New Testament, kids offered these answers, and these are unedited answers and statements. So the first one is, Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. <laughs> so that's the kid's perspective. Noah's wife was Joan of ark, right? <laughs> Noah built an ark, and the animals came on in pairs, P-E-A-R-S. They came in, they pairs, kids, you know, unedited. The greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still, and he obeyed him. <laughs> kids, they kind of get the stories a little mixed up. David was a Hebrew king who was skilled at playing the liar. <laughs> he fought the 
Finkelsteins, a race of people who lived in biblical times, right? <laughs> Solomon, one of David's son, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. <laughs> yeah, that feels a little uncomfortable. I don't know. Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. St. <laughs> John the blacksmith dumped water on his head and Jesus enunciated the golden rule, which says to do unto others before they do one to you. He also explained a man doth not live by sweat alone. <laughs> so kids' perspective on the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, it's good stuff, funny stuff. Let's jump into Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, James chapter 4. We're asking the question, how do we align our lives with God? And it's important that we align our lives with God. When I think about alignment, I think about my truck. You know, if my truck is out of alignment, what happens? My tires begin to wear unevenly. Uh, I don't brake as effectively. The steering can sometimes shake and get all wobbly. Everything just kind of begins to go south when your alignment on your car is not right. What happens when your alignment in your life is not right. Well, it's a lot of the same things happen. Our life begins to get a little crazy. Unnecessary wear and tear on our lives from, well, from resisting God. Because if we're choosing not to align our lives with God, with his word, then there's stress and unnecessary wear and tear. There's an in inability for, uh, for in, in our lives from not having a uh, a clear di direction, there's an inability to make wise choices because we just don't have a lot of clarity about, well, about who we are, about who we're trusting and the direction of life that we're taking. But when we're aligning our lives with God, we're saying, God, my life is all yours, all, all parts of it, every part of it. My life is Yours. When we're not aligned, though, there's a constant movement to the right and then to the left due to a double-minded approach to life and decision-making. So we're kind of all over the road. There's a general sense of irritability due to an internal conflict concerning life. So you just, you can't, you're, there's just this wrestling match inside. When we haven't decided, like I've talked about this the last couple weeks, we have to decide who we are and who we're going to serve. We have to make this decision. And when we haven't fully made the decision, there's this battle inside of us. And the result is just some kind of irritability because we're not fully committed to the Lord, but we're not fully committed to the world. And so we're just kind of tossed to and fro, double-minded, unstable in all our ways. In James chapter 4, I love James because he just kind of nails uh, his points and speaks directly, which I really Appreciate it in James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. In our opening verse this morning, James is addressing the way in which believers are speaking to and about one another. So he's addressing the tongue again. Remember James chapter 3, we talked about this a few weeks ago. James was addressing the tongue, the power of the tongue, the impact of the way that we use the words and the way that we speak to people. Let's take a look. James 4.11, he says, don't speak evil. Don't speak. So he's speaking of the, the tongue. He's addressing the tongue again. So there must have been an issue. There, as it is probably in this 
culture and in this century and in this community and in this church, there's probably just things that we need to get under control in the way that we address people and the way that we speak to people. James is saying, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. What does that mean? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the church, right? Brothers and sisters in the Lord. So he's not speaking to the world. He's speaking to us, to believers, people who say, hey, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am, I am God's kid, and I'm following him. He's saying, hey, dear brothers and sisters, don't, don't speak evil against each other. He says, if you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. So this verse is actually speaking to any form of speaking against someone else. You say, well, that person deserves it. Well, this verse is actually addressing it. We, there's plenty of things that we can complain about and critique people about, and they deserve it, and blah, blah, blah. And, but James is challenging us to approach things differently in life, that we might speak the truth and love. Everything that God has called us to do and we, when we confront people so that they might be edified, so they might, they might be built up. When Jesus was challenging the religious leaders, he was to call them out of their darkness into his glorious light. So it wasn't to condemn them, but to pull them out of darkness. And so when, our, when we're complaining and grumbling about people, we're off, often we're doing it to the wrong person. We're not doing it directly to the person like we're supposed to. We're supposed to go directly. So Perry, if I have issue with you, what do I do? I go directly to you. I don't talk to David about it or Mary about it because that won't do any good. It just pollutes their perspective about Perry. So what do I do? I just go to Perry. Hey, Perry, let's talk. And as brothers in the Lord, we talk. And usually when there's issues, it's been just a big old fat misunderstanding. And when we extend grace to one another and our heart is to reconcile and to be building our brother and sister up in the Lord, we can speak with a tender heart, with compassion, with grace, with kindness, with an expectation of good and not evil. So we've got a responsibility. It's a hard road because it's so much easier to talk to David about Perry than to talk about Perry with Perry. And I got no issues with Perry. Perry's my brother, has been for decades, and will be forever and ever. Amen. Into eternity, right, bro? We'll be celebrating forever and ever. So the idea is, hey, let's just extend grace to one another. And if you need to talk to get things, some things cleared up, just go directly to that person. Don't come to me complaining about somebody else. Don't go to somebody else complaining about me. Just come directly and talk to us. Don't speak evil. <laughs> Don't speak evil. When a person breaks this, we'll call it the law of love, or any law for that matter, that person places themselves above the law. <laughs> when we disobey the laws of God, we're actually placing ourselves above that law, and we're actually judging that law as unimportant and un. Necessary. What law what might we be talking about? Well, Leviticus 19.18 in part says, love your neighbor as yourself. So we can't love our neighbor if we're speaking evil about our neighbor. And so I say this 
almost every week, everything that God requires of us, expects of us, asks of us, requires his supernatural power and grace to get it done. So, man, when you're struggling with somebody, you just need to say, Lord, I, I either need to extend grace and just forgive this person, forgive this offense, or I just need to go to them with grace and humility and try to work it out with the expectation that we're going to work this thing out because it's clearly a misunderstanding. There's something going on. But when someone decides to speak evil of a brother or sister, that person has essentially judged that that law is irrelevant and declares that he or she is above the law. That kind of puts things in a whole different perspective. When we're disobedient, when we're rebelling against God's word, we're actually just, we're saying in our heart, hey, this law, it's this way, it's irrelevant. And I'm actually above it. I can do kind of whatever I want to do. Theologians agree the specific grammatical construction used here usually forbids the continuation of a practice already in progress. So James, his readers had fallen into the habit of criticizing one another. And so he says, stop speaking against one another. There's, these things are habitual. I mean, we can fall into this habit of just kind of grumbling and complaining about people and, and kind of speaking harshly about people, judging people. And, and this became kind of the pattern within the early church. And so James addresses it. He says, stop, stop. Stop speaking evil against one another. Those who do so place themselves, again, above the law and by their actions declare that that law to be a bad and unnecessary statue. So rather than submitting and keeping it, they pass judgments, judgment on its validity and set it aside. Whoa. Ah, that ought to stick in your craw. Because as we read the word, we sometimes read it and ignore it. We pass judgment on it. We say it's not valid for me. Valid for everybody else, but it's not valid for me. I'm not going to do it. I, I'm not interested in doing it. Listen, our job is not to decide <laughs> if we will obey the law, the laws of God. Our job is plain and simple to obey the laws of God. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Now, there are three different, at least three different types of law, especially in the Old Testament. There is ceremonial law, civil law, and then there's moral law. And so the Bible's broken down and we see different types of law. And so we're going to ask the question today what laws in the Bible are we still required to follow? Are we still required to follow the ceremonial laws? We're going to find out. Are we still required to follow the civil laws? Well, we're going to find out. What about the moral laws? Are we still required to follow the moral laws? Let's find out. Ceremonial, civil, moral. So the ceremonial laws con gov uh, concerned gov Israel's uh, worship of God. Ceremonial laws were ways in which God outlined a path forward so that sinners, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. So ceremonial laws were instituted so that the people of God could have their sins forgiven, covered. So that's where the sacrificial, came, uh, sacrificial system came into place. God said, 
Well, he's told us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that that, that the wages of sin is death. We see it in Genesis 2.17. It says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Where are we talking? We're in the garden, right? In the beginning, right? For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Ultimate physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God. That's the result of sin. Proverbs eleven nineteen says, whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. The wages of sin is death. We see that in Romans 6, 23 in the King James Version. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the sacrificial system was God's way of dealing with sin in the world. God allowed sacrifices to be made to atone for the sins of people. The atonement was sufficient for a season, but this system, these ceremonial laws ended when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for all humanity. Jesus became the final sacrifice. He became the final sacrifice, making atonement for the sins of humanity. All the ceremonial and sacrificial laws pointed to and were fulfilled by Christ on the cross. How do we know? Because we, well, we just talked about this in Hebrews 9 a little bit. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 says, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls, and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurities. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So now when Jesus declared, it is finished on the cross, it is finished, all the ceremonial laws were rendered null and void. So as we look at the Old Testament and we read about ceremonial laws, null and void, because of Jesus, he offered himself as the final sacrifice, the atonement for us, for the world, so that we might know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't follow the ceremonial laws because Jesus followed and fulfilled all of them for us. So Anybody, anytime, any place can come to God through Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So ceremonial, civil. The civil laws brought order to the nation of Israel. There were guidelines for the people of Israel to live in Palestine in that day, in that nation. The civil law deals mainly with relationships between individuals, the settling of disputes, and the description of proper behavior. There is, now there's value in the civil laws, 
but we're not obligated to obey the civil laws of God. There's value in really all of, all of the laws. And if we understand the deeper meanings of these laws, they typically point us to Jesus or cause us or call us to a place of greater purity and sanctification that we might be set apart as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's, there's value in, in, in a lot of these laws, but we're not required or obligated to obey the civil laws of God. So here's a couple examples of civil law. Deuteronomy 22, 1 through 4 says, If you see your neighbor's ox or sheep, or goat wandering away. Don't ignore your responsibility. Take it back to its owner. Who's got a ox? <laughs> Who's got a sheep? I, uh, I've, got a, I've got goats. Who's got goats? A lot of us have goats, right? <laughs> we can see how in this culture, a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. If its owner does not live nearby or you don't know who the owner is, take it to your place and keep it until the owner comes looking for it then you must return it. Do the same if you find your neighbor's donkey. Who's got a donkey? Somebody's got to have a donkey, right? No donkeys represented in the whole, all right. So, <laughs> so do the same if you find your neighbor's donkey or clothing or anything else your neighbor loses. Don't ignore your responsibility. If you see that your neighbor's donkey or ox has collapsed on the road, do not look the other way. Go and help your neighbor get it back on its feet. So these are some of the civil laws that were spoken about in the Old Testament. These are civil laws that might also be considered moral laws. There's some morality that we see in some of these laws. Like if your friend is kind of broken down on the side of the road, what do you do? Or if anybody's broken down on the side of the road, what do you do? You stop. Like it's, a, it's the story of the Good Samaritan, right? You stop, right? So it may not be you know, his animal is broken down, but it's car or his bike or whatever. So there's a deeper sense of understanding when we really think about these laws. God is calling us to love one another and serve one another and be considerate of one another. So one more example, example of a civil law, Leviticus 19, 35 through 36. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or volume. How are things sold? based on their measurements, length, weight, or volume. Your scales and weights must be accurate. Your containers for measuring dry materials or liquids must be accurate. I'm, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So God is declaring his lordship and his leadership in their lives, and he's saying, hey, be fair with one another. So this is a civil law that's got some morality behind it. Don't cheat one another. Don't be a liar and a cheat. <laughs> so it's perfect for the civil laws for the people of God, but it's also so applicable now. God wants us to love one another. We don't demonstrate love for one another when we're cheating one another, when we're being scoundrels and lying. So there's ceremonial and civil, and then there's moral laws. The moral law is based on the character of, of God and extends from old, from the old and into the New Testament. Therefore, as it was wrong to lie in the Old Testament, is it still wrong to lie in the New Testament? Yeah, it's a no-brainer, right? So if you see a law repeated in the New Testament, it's usually a moral law that we're required to walk in and to obey. So we've got these responsibilities 
recorded for us in Scripture, and sometimes it's confusing because we look at the ceremonial laws or the civil laws, and we think, are we still, are we still obligated and responsible? Well, we're not. There's value in all of the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, there's value there, but we need to be careful in understanding what we are responsible to obey. Like many of the Ten Commandments, prohibitions against stealing and adultery and coveting transcend time and space, right? Jesus fulfills the moral law by his perfect righteousness. Every He, boy, he lived sinlessly, fulfilling the law of God. And then he was sacrificed for us, crucified for us as the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus fulfilled the moral law by his perfect righteousness. Every commandment he obeyed, every requirement he met, he lived up to every standard. He lived perfectly, thereby satisfying the law of God. The law of God is written so that we might realize our desperate need for the grace of God. It's not so that we can work harder, so that we can understand the character of God, and so that in understanding the character of God, we can see our own flawed lives and recognize that no matter how hard we try, because the Bible says if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of the law. And we're all born into sin. We're, we're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. And so we need the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus was asked about the law, and he made a very clear point when he answered Matthew 22 36 through 40 he said teacher uh, he says teacher which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses religious leaders trying to find a loophole trying to trick Jesus trying to trip him up and Jesus replied you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind <laughs> this is the first and the greatest commandment and the second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself the entire law the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The entire law and all of the requirements of the prophets, the demands of the prophets, they hang here. If we do this, if we love each other <laughs> and love Jesus, we'll do great. We'll do great. Jesus declared that the two most important laws are clear. Love God and love others. This moral law transcends time. It doesn't matter if we're 100 years from now or if we go back in time, 1,000 or 5,000 years. The law is the same. We are obligated to obey the moral laws of God. There's value, again, some of the other laws, but the New Testament requires that we simply obey the law of Christ, which is love God and love others. It's all encompassing. Love God, love others. Again, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So when James writes, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters, is this, a direct, is this directive consistent with what Jesus said are the two most important commandments? Is it consistent? Of course it is. Quit speaking evil of each other. Why? Because that's not the loving, gracious way. Now, we're called to speak the truth in love, meaning, again, that our heart in speaking the truth is for 
redemption, redemptive purposes, for reconciliation purposes, to build somebody up, to help them come along and come in their faith as followers of Lord Jesus, to, to express love and grace to them so that they might come out of their place of deception. Evil, what's evil? That's to speak uh, it's to speak against someone. So let's unpack that word. To criminate or to charge with a crime, to traduce or to criticize, disparage or malign. None of these words describe a positive exchange, but only negative and hurtful. So James 3, 7, and 10, as a reminder, James had said this earlier, and he's kind of touching on it again. He said, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless and, it's a restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. So he's nailing us about how we're speaking. It's an indication out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's going on in our hearts begins to spill out of our mouths. And so we need to make sure that our hearts are set apart, consecrated, uh, pure. So that means we're just always making the choice to extend grace to one another, to expect the best from people, to love people, to pray for people. When you want to get angry about somebody, just begin to pray for them. Just pray God's grace and blessing and peace upon them. Somebody cuts you off on the road, you say, in Jesus' name, <laughs> I bless that person. I ask that you would cover them and fill them with your goodness and with your love. When you're fighting with your spouse, Jesus, bless them, right? When there's disagreement, Lord, bless them. Everything that God calls us to do is direct, it's in direct contrast to the world. The world will tell you, go after them. <laughs> be angry. You've got a right to be angry. They, they did you wrong. Who cares? Right? Jesus is being executed. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, help that person. They're obviously hurting. They're, they're, they're lashing out at me. They got to be hurting inside. Lord, help me to be gracious with them and be patient with them. I've done it, Lord, and I, I feel like that's what's happening here. I just want to extend grace, Lord. I want to grow in my ability to love that person, Lord, and, and serve that person and be humble with that person. Lord, show me what that looks like. God, I don't, boy, Anger just causes a cancer within our souls, man. It just tears us up from the inside out, and we're just, our countenance shows it, you know? My when my grandbabies are born, they're, they're helpless, right? And so I love to take their little brow and push it down, and it makes them look angry, right? And I say, why are you so angry, little guy? <laughs> I did it yesterday with Theo. I do it with all the kids. As they get older, you can't do it as much, you know, because they resist. I don't know why they resist, but so you play. But our countenance as Christians sometimes looks like somebody's going, you know, pushing our, our foreheads down. We look just all constipated or something. It's not good. It's not good. Man, relax in Jesus' name. Extend grace in Jesus' name and watch what God will do to set your life free to free up in your heart and your mind and 
man, you'll just all of a sudden have just this fresh, unexplainable joy and peace. It's contrary to what the world will tell you to do. Don't do what the world tells you to do. It'll lead you astray every time. Do what the Bible says to do. Do what God's called you to do. James 4, 12, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Everything that makes us angry, is it's based in judgment, right? Like that person should be living differently. <laughs> I don't like the, what that person is doing or how that person spends his time or her time. I don't like it. So I'm judging, right? Judging their lives. I, I, I have a hard enough time just to get my own life right. Um, when I started trying to judge and figure out somebody's, somebody else's life, I mean, everybody's going through such hard stuff. So we don't know why they're doing what they're doing. People, people are getting diagnosed with sick cancer and sickness and all kinds of stuff. Chronic stuff is con- people are People's marriages are struggling. People's relationships are tough. People with this economy, everybody's strapped financially. There's just so many hard things going on. If we can just extend grace to one another. Our job is not to judge our neighbor. Now, sometimes we speak the truth in love. If we see a brother going off and say, man, I I see that you're making this bad decision, but it's not not meant to be condemning. It's meant, meant to be like, I'm throwing you a lifeline. I love you so much. I want you to come out of this mess that you're making of your life. It's, it's, it's meant to be done in love. You will be able to love your neighbor as you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. This is how you begin to love your neighbor. When you decide, I'm going to love God with everything, heart, soul, strength, mind. When God becomes your priority and you make him your priority in every area of your life, you will figure out how to then love others effectively. So how do we align our lives with God? Number one, we must love God and we must love our neighbor. You want to align your life with God, you got to start loving people. (laughs) You have to. You got to start loving God wholeheartedly with everything that is within you. How do we align our lives with God? Number one, we must love God and we must love others. This is God's moral law for his followers. So you're wondering what laws to obey? Do this and you're, 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 you're going to be good. James 4, 13, let's continue. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know? <laughs> How do you know? How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. How do we align our lives with God? Well, we got we to love God. We got to love others, number one. Number two, we must submit all of our plans to God. We got to submit all of our plans to God. We are born again followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're born into a new life with new priorities, new perspective, new lordship, new leadership in our lives. And so that means everything is at the altar, at the foot of the cross. And so we're saying, Lord, whatever you want to do with all my life, it's totally up to you. And so you just begin to be prayerful about everything. Not about the color of socks that you wear, because I've got some really cool socks on today. (laughs) These are Lexus socks. These are a gift from my son. Where is he? Right there. Gave me Lexus socks. 
Maybe I'll get a Lexus someday. Reminds me of my, my mother-in-law, uh, her husband, Marv, was asking for a Rolex, you know. He was like, I just want a Rolex. And he's like, you know, 75 or 70 or whatever he was. And so she thinks it's funny. She gets him a, a Rolex box, wraps it up, and there's no Rolex inside. So he opens this box, and she thinks it's funny. But it's not funny for anybody, right? It's funny for her. But there's an empty Rolex box, right? You're like, all my dreams have oh. no. So a few years later, she bought him a Rolex, and there we go. What does that have to do with it? I don't know what that has to do. Oh, you don't have to pray about the color of your socks, right? But, man, you're praying about most everything, about financial investments. About where, where do I put my money, Lord? Where, what am I, do I move? Do I buy this? Do I, how do I treat my, my wife? How do I live in a relationship with my coworkers? And, you know, the Bible says pray without ceasing, so you're just praying without ceasing. You're just always prayerful. And so even when I'm up, up here preaching, I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, help me to get this across. Lord, help me to be humble when I'm preaching. Lord, help me to be clear in my preaching. So we're just praying all of the time. When I'm in a counseling session, Lord, I have no idea what to say, but you do, so give me words, Lord. Like When we're in any given scenario or situation, we're just prayerful and asking for the Lord to direct us. And he'll direct us by the peace that we have as we open our hearts and avail our plans to him. Lord, lead me. I need peace and wisdom about this direction. So about everything, you're just praying about it. You're just asking the Lord. You're just bringing him into the fat middle of your whole life. And there's nothing excluded. Your relationship, should I date this person? Should I marry this person? You really need to be asking God about those things, right? You know, whatever the case is, God will speak grace and wisdom and truth into your life, not because he's trying to keep something good from you, but he's trying to give you the best possible life that you can have in him. And so he wants to give you wise counsel. He wants to help you understand the right path. And so you open up the word and say, Lord, how do I apply this in this situation? It's very difficult. Well, you won't be able to apply it unless you just allow the Holy Spirit to fill your life and to give you the wisdom that you Need. We got to submit all of our plans to God. All of them. Like everything. Again, not this. God doesn't care about your socks, I don't think, but He cares about most everything else in your life. Like, how many kids should we have? You know, you know should we take this vacation, Lord? Is this really a good time to do that? Should we spend the money? Is it wise? Is it going to be good for our family? What's, you know, He's just asking the Lord for wisdom. Like, like having the faith of a little child, believing that when we ask, God is actually listening and he's wanting to direct us. And so we need to get childlike in our faith. Sometimes we, we feel all grown up and we, we can make our own decisions. Don't buy into that lie of the world. Man, don't buy into that. You need the grace of God. We all do. We need the, the wisdom of God, the word of God to direct our path. So if you want to, to align your life properly with God, you've got to bring him into the fat middle of your life. We've we got to submit all of our plans to God. And so that means we do what he asks us to do. James 4.17, the last verse in our day, our study here today, James 4.17 says, Remember, it is sin <laughs> to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So loving God, loving your neighbor, no law against that, no sin in that. Just do that. Submitting our, all of our plans to the Lord means listening and obeying, doing what he's asked you to do. It's a sin to know 
what you ought to do and then don't do it. So that's a sin that's going to contaminate your life. And so number three, we must repent of our disobedience. We must repent of our disobedience. Remember, in 2 Kings chapter 22, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, Josiah. King Josiah is eight years old when he becomes king, and he's rebuilding the temple, refurbishing the temple, and they come upon the word of the Lord. And the, the, the word of the Lord is read to him, and he's distraught. 2 Kings twenty two eleven. when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. He tore his clothes in despair. He responded with repentance. 2 Kings twenty two thirteen. 13, this is why he responded, we have not. This is what he said, we have not been doing everything it says we must do. So he's looking at the law and saying, I'm not aligning my life as a leader and as a nation. We're not aligning our lives with everything that God asks us to do. And so he's renting his clothes, he's ripping his clothes, a sign of brokenness and contrition. But Joel 2.13, I was reading Joel this week, and it says, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Oh, like we're talking deep work of God in our lives needs to happen, right? Don't just tear your clothes. You know, that's the first step. But man, let your heart break open when you hear the, the word of the Lord and let him do what he wants to do. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God. This is real repentance. Repentance means I'm, I was doing that, heading that direction. Now I'm heading the opposite direction. It's like I've changed my mind. It's not like I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing it. It's like I'm sorry, I'm never doing that again. That's repentance. It's not repentance if it's like, I got caught, busted. Forgive me, Lord. And the next day you keep going after it. That's not repentance. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Isn't that the goodness of God? Man, it's fun to align your life with God because the grace and mercy and the, the adventure of doing that, trusting him, it's a faith journey. Everything we do in this life as believers is a faith journey. Showed up early yesterday morning and Rick's like, how many guys are we going to show up for breakfast? How many guys are showing up? I said, Rick, I, I have no idea. <laughs> it's always a faith journey whenever we do anything. We're just going to get ready, put out a spread, and bless whoever shows up. That's the deal. It's just all by faith, you know. Let your life be marked by faith. Joy-filled faith, obedience, the love of God for others and for the Lord. Just keep short accounts of the Lord. Just keep repenting of anything that you're made aware of. You say something you shouldn't have said, Lord, I'm sorry. You said it to your spouse, ah, I'm sorry, babe, right? Whatever the case may be, just keep short accounts. Align your life with God. And then the unnecessary wear and tear in your life will just begin to dissipate. There'll be peace. You know, the shaking of the steering wheel from a bad alignment, that, that your life will just begin to smooth out, man. Not perfect, not without issues, but man, there's peace and joy because you know you've made, you made God the Lord, the leader of your life. And so with that, let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to worship and um, invite the team up, and, uh, and then we'll get out of here. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. As the team comes up, who got something out of this message today? Good. Tell me what you got. Jim, what did you get out of the message? Speak it loud so everybody can hear you. Okay, okay. Who else? Who wants to, who, who's got something like a nugget? 
A nugget. Go ahead, Marilyn. Get, forgive and move on. Marilyn, say, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving and moving on. All right. Forget, move on, shut your mouth about other people. What else? What else? That's good wisdom. I think that might. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The simplicity of love God and love others. We want to complicate things and try to know everything. And under, What else? Guard your tongue. Right. What else? Brian, what'd you learn? Same thing? Yeah. Chris, what'd you get? Short accounts. There we go. Mike, what'd you get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's remember, let's let's grab hold of the truth that is communicated on a Sunday morning, no matter who's doing it, and just maybe write it down in your Bible or your journal and say, I'm doing this. Logan, what'd you get? Yeah. And that we can just go home and sit on the couch and not do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, what'd you get? Um, listening to God and obeying what he says. Mm. Like when you're angry, God will speak to you at that moment. And you just you need to repent. Yeah. And turn around at that time. Yeah. Listening to God and obeying. Repent, turn around, do some business with the Lord. Linda, in the back, what'd you get? Well, it's because you're my family, and I'm going <laughs> to... Linda's my sister's mother-in-law, so there we go. Extended family. Go ahead, Linda, speak loud so we can all hear you. Yes. The secret to joy in the Lord is honoring that command. You've got to love God, love others. You've got joy that follows, joys that is part of that decision. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for teaching us. We love you. Let's worship in spirit and in truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Through the shadow. 
from the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name of Jesus Today, and there's prayer up front for those who would love prayer. Amen.